Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I, um, uh, I needed this sermon. I needed this sermon, and uh, I'm so grateful for the time to be in uh, the Word and preparation and studying for this time together, and uh, I hope that you benefit from uh, the Scriptures as well as, as the Holy Spirit would guide your eyes, uh, guide your ears, uh, to your, and f refresh your heart and refresh your mind with the truths found in God's Word. Uh, last night, I want to bring you in to a little bit of, uh, of me. Last night, I was, uh, decided to take a walk, and I decided to take a long walk. I found myself walking, and I uh, found myself over at City Park, walking by the uh, water park there, children playing and laughing and screaming out to Dad, I can't find my goggles, you know, the sounds of summer and smells of copper tones, sunscreen, and... And I continued meandering through the park over by the baseball diamonds and could hear uh, familiar tunes being played for the baseball diamonds as games were finishing and continuing on. And I remembered my, my youth um, when I used to play baseball throughout the whole summer, every summer. I'm just thinking these children at the pool and at the baseball diamonds are just, uh, they're thinking in the moment, you know. How much fun I can have. How, what, what pitch is coming next? What am I going to do after this, uh, this baseball game? And they're not thinking about the sermon I'm about ready to preach right now. <laughs> I continued on my walk and found myself aiming for the cemetery. Grandview Cemetery at City Park. And I was all by myself. There was one other car on the other side of the cemetery, but I was by myself on a beautiful evening, the sun coming through the west, getting ready to set, coming through the trees. Uh, it was a real tranquil setting. Um, and I was envisioning, thinking, walking through and looking at these, these uh, gravestones and these names and these dates. Dates going all the way back to the 1700s. I think they picked up a, a stone and brought it from overseas and placed it here. But many, many dates start in the mid-1850s and finish in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and obviously current ones. 
names without a whole lot of story to them. Some were just marked mother, father. And it got me thinking about all the different stories that people have. Uh, that were, the stories, if those graves could talk, you know, that were happening uh, here in early Fort Collins, uh, the Fort Collins. And it just got me thinking about our passage and about how it talks about the dead will rise in Christ first. And I'm thinking, how many of the bodies, the shells of people, how many of the bodies in this cemetery have a hope in Jesus. And what we read, had Phil read for us this morning, we read together with him about the, the promised hope that we have. You see, the Thessalonians, as we were learning here, they had questions about uh, the return of Jesus. They didn't question the return of Jesus, but what will happen? What's going to happen with the return of Jesus? Because we have loved ones we have loved ones who have since departed. And will they be included? Will Jesus come for them as well? And there was an angst to it. Whether they were speaking to directly Paul or, or to Timothy, but Paul felt it was certain, uh, necessary, to get word back to this young church. And really, and throughout the whole Bible, this text here, that we are in today is the landing spot uh, to understand Jesus' return and what we'll call uh, the rapture. We'll get to that in just a moment here. But they had questions, and, and Paul starts off by saying in verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers. That word brothers is not specific to males, it's specific to those who believe in Jesus, the gathered church, that find their hope in Jesus in his death and resurrection. That's who he's, he's, he's writing to, brothers. We do not want you to be uninformed. We don't, oftentimes Paul is saying that. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know these things. And about those who are asleep, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. This word asleep that he talks about is familiar to pagans and, and Jewish language. It was an a understanding of, of death. Um, it even says in, uh, we read about in, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There is a reality for all who fall asleep, no, all who die. Something about each one of us as human beings is that we are mortal. We will all have an end to our life. And the scriptures here refer to it as sleep. I want to start off by saying this, that what we see happening here with Jesus returning is, is going to be magnificent. It is the day of all days. This is the return of of the conquering king. Jesus is, gonna, is king and he conquers death and he is going to demonstrate it. He's going to demonstrate it in a way that has never been done ever, ever before. 
Uh, the Greek word used here is parousia, and this is a word that is often used for the arrival, the presence of a respected guest, a respected uh, governor, official that would come into town. This is the parousia. This, so this is, this is the grand arrival, the grand presence of Jesus, the conquering king. And Paul begins by saying he died and rose again. This is the core, core competency of the gospel. And it begins with that. Jesus beat death. Jesus beat death. He died and just like he said he would, three days later he rose again. He is the conquering king. He has beaten death. I'll read for you what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 24, 30. If you're in your scriptures, you're going to be traveling with me, so let's get moving together. Matthew chapter 24, in verse 30, then will, then will appear in heaven, Jesus says, the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus is forecasting this. Jesus is predicting this. He is prophesying this. He's saying this is going to happen, and Jesus will fulfill this. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 11. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had just finished rising from the dead and visiting with his, his apostles and giving them instructions. Then he departs. And we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, he says, there's, and then, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. These were angels speaking to the men who were dumbfounded by Jesus had just left them. He says, don't be surprised. He is going to return in like manner. Titus, turn to Titus chapter 2. Paul is instructing Titus here and encouraging them in the good word of the Lord. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Lastly, I want to read to you from Revelation. These are cross-references about Jesus' return. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16 reads, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, 
with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is how the Bible has has supported itself in these claims that Jesus is going to come to return for his bride, his church, his own, believers in him. And he's going to do this as their conquering king. So I've broken this down into an outline of, of the return of the conquering king, the resurrection, the rapture, and the reunion. I got this help from several commentators, Leon Morris and John Stott. We've been using John Stott quite a bit in this series. If you'd like to know more about him and how you can access his commentary, feel free to talk to one of us. It's been very enlightening. But upon the return of the conquering king, we have the resurrection, which Paul is going to talk about here. And Jesus himself, himself is going to return with the command, the voice of the archangel, and a trumpet blast. And this is going to be a setting that has never been seen before. This will really turn, stop the world in its axis. This will, this will make us all go on the same time zone because we will all see in real life time his return. And it's going to be not just something like a one, two, three, uh, the, uh, the, the command, the voice, the angel, and then the trumpet blast. It's going to be as if, don't look at it that way, as, as if it's going to be um, a continuous, it's going to be a continuous, it's going to be a, an announcement that is going to grab all Christians' attention instantaneously. It is going to be thunderous. It is going to be, you cannot mistake this. Can you imagine where, uh, when I was a new believer, uh, we, we started talking about this, and this is when I was 20 years old, and, and we were uh, trying to wrap our minds around and understanding it, but it, and it really helped with a whole lot of behavior modification because we're like, what are you, you going to be doing when Jesus returns? You know? uh, I'm going to be praying, I'm going to be singing, I'm going to be reading his Bible, that's what I'm going to be doing. And, and then you, you, get, you, you get tired of trying to modify your behavior. But you don't want to be doing sinful things when he returns. You want to be found to be honoring him with your life. Even some of my basketball friends were talking about want, desiring to be able to dunk the basketball. And we hope that when, the, when, the, when he comes back for us and we start going up in the air, we're going to have a ball in our hands. We're going to dunk it on the way up. And how foolish that is to be thinking that way of this reverent, powerful moment. As I've studied and I've prayed and thought through this passage, I think about this, this moment in time for people who have faith in Jesus Christ. It's such a moment to long for, to be rescued, certainly, but to see Jesus in all of his power and all of his glory and to know that he's coming for me is really uh, inspiring. It makes me stop and just be in awe. This is an unmistakable event. Micah chapter 1 verse 3 says, for, for behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. This is prophesied that Jesus will come and do this. 
Paul is making it certain here that Jesus is coming back for his bride, his church, those who follow him, Christians. But he's also making it clear here as he's speaking to the question of the Thessalonians that he's coming back and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. We see this in chapter six, or verse 16b. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with the cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead will, in Christ will rise first. If there is to be a priority, it is going to be that priority. He is going to arise the dead first. Their soul and body will be united in the clouds. Jesus is bringing with him those who have fallen asleep. So as Jesus is arriving, he is bringing the souls in heaven of those who have fallen asleep. And Jesus uses the word, or Paul uses the word fallen asleep on purpose here because it is not a permanent state. In the graves, their body lays, but their soul, for those in Christ, is with Jesus. And Jesus is bringing this army of souls, of, of people who have fallen asleep in Christ. He's bringing them with him. It says this in, in verse 14b, God will bring with him, Jesus, those who have fallen asleep. And instantaneously, the graves are opening up for their bodies to meet Jesus with their souls. And there in the clouds will be a reunification of those who have fallen asleep in Christ, in Christ. It's always conditional, in Christ. So there's promises for those who are asleep. They will never be separated from Christ. They died through him, they sleep in him, they will rise with him, and they will come with him too. Christ and his people belong to each other, and they're inseparable. Inseparable. So this is what uh, the, the people are asking of Paul, direction here. What about those who, are, who have fallen asleep? Believers, where can we have any sort of expectations and hopes for these people? And Paul is delivering that message here very clearly. Jesus is coming. He's bringing their souls. He's going to reunite them with their bodies. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he turns his attention to the rapture. The rapture. This uh, word will be caught up. This Greek word is harpezo, which means snatch away, grasp, or seize. And our word for rapture comes from the Latin which is rapier, for to seize or to catch away. And this is what Jesus is doing to those who are his own, is he is seizing his believers who are alive, walking the earth, who are believing in him, living life. They're either sleeping, they're, they're walking to their work, they're going to the marketplace. In the throes of life, in the step of life, as Jesus comes back, he is plucking. He is snatching believer after believer, and he is recovering them. He is coming for his own. I'm going to read for you John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. In this section, Jesus is talking, and he's prophesying what is going to happen. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, 
are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have, I would, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The precious promise of Jesus wanting to have this personal fellowship. Jesus is coming himself, the conquering king. He didn't didn't, uh, ask some other angel to take care of this business. He is coming for those who are his own. The dead in Christ and those who are alive walking and breathing. Paul and his companions here. You and me as well. Jesus has given us his promise that he's coming back. We who are alive and are left, that is who the rapture is for. We, and, and it's a beautiful experience that hopefully we get to anticipate. The scriptures are very clear that his return is imminent. At any moment, he could come right now. That's how we are to be living our lives as as followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, believers in his death and resurrection. We are to to live our lives that it's at any moment he can be coming back. And I don't know if you're like me, which I'm pretty certain that you are, this is a good reminder to us to live on edge, to live on point, to be sharp and ready to give an account for the hope that we have within us. Lastly, after uh, the return of the conquering king, the, the resurrection and the rapture, there's the reunion. With believers who have died and are with Jesus, verse 17, then when we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is a promise we get to have for those of us who are in Christ. That we get the precious promise of being able to see Jesus face to face first. What a, what a glorious opportunity this is gonna be to be able to see him face to face first as he is coming for us. All of us and uniquely each one of us. And then right behind that, we get to see our loved ones who have fallen in Christ, who are asleep in Christ, who have gone before us. And when Paul started this off by saying in verse, verse 13, he's talking about when you're to grieve, but not like those who have no hope. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve. It doesn't say that at all. It's just that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. And if you've been at funerals, which I know you have, many of you have, you get experience all different kinds of funerals. As a pastor, I've been able to see many different types of funerals. Funerals which are full of sadness. Sadness of the departing. When the loved one leaves, it is a piece of you leaves with them. And the, and the deeper the love, the, the stronger the limp. A piece of you just leaves. Some are sad in a different way that they just really didn't live much of a life. They may have a glorious Bronco shrine downstairs in the basement that they were known for doing, you know, going to all the games, recording all the games, going to all the practices, knowing all the statistics. 
I don't mean to beat up on Bronco fans. I am one. But do you know what I mean when there's a, a clear missing it in life, missing the beauty of Jesus in a daily walk with him? You get to see those in funerals where it's quite easy to see, memorials where it's quite easy to see of someone who did walk with Jesus, who did have a passion for Christ, who did have a passion to share the gospel, who did have a passion to worship the Lord and to pray and to last longer and to serve more true. You get to hear the testimonies of, of grandpas walking in the hallway at a sleepover of all the cousins in the room huddled together and, and the floorboards are creaking right outside the closed door, the children trying to go to sleep. But grandpa's out there just whispering prayers underneath his breath for each one of those grandchildren. Those kind of stories stick with me. They stick with me and they inspire me to move forward and to be uh, Life-giving, giving life and opportunity to those around me to experience this wonderful, precious promise we have of this glorious coming of Jesus once again and that we can have life forever and ever with him and with those who are in Christ. So it, it inspires me. It gives me hope to know that we'll always be with the Lord. Because this life is hard. This life has challenges. This life has this difficulty, difficulties. This life has divorces that surprise us and cancer that surprises us. And fatal car accidents that weren't supposed to happen. They're supposed to be here for Christmas and it didn't happen. So, Paul is communicating to us in the Thessalonian church that there's what to expect when Jesus returns. What happens when he returns? The return of the conquering king, and there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a rapture of those who are still alive in Christ. And there's going to be a great reunion in the clouds. And I love it that he says it's going to happen in the clouds. In order to get to the clouds, there's going to be in the air... Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. The clouds are often imagery of heaven, of heavenly beings, to meet the Lord in the air. And the air is often uh, described as a place for Satan and his demons to do their devilish work, to distract Christians. And Jesus is doing this right there in front of him, showing who conquers death. Jesus does. And so we will always be with the Lord. When will this happen? When will this happen? This glorious event, when will this happen? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And if somebody says that they do know, you can just walk the other way because Jesus says they don't know. The second coming of Jesus Christ is the hope of all believers. That God is in control and that we will be reunited with Jesus and our loved ones in Christ forever. Forever and ever. This is good, clear direction Paul gives this young church in Thessalonica and for us as well, okay? Let me say this, Professor Alan Holtberg of Biola University says on essentials and non-essentials of end times, things indisputably taught in scripture are central to our faith are essential. Things less clearly taught are non-essential. That Jesus coming again to vindicate his church and judge the enemies of God is the big essential, okay? Let me repeat that. That Jesus is coming again to vindicate his church and judge the enemies of God is the big essential. That is the blessed hope of the church. When and how are not essential. That there will be a resurrection of the dead, some to eternal life, some to eternal suffering is essential. What the new heavens and earth will be like, what the kingdom of God on earth will be like, etc. that is, the details are non-essential. Hmm. I have so much more to say. I'll close by saying this. There was a uh, Christian singer-songwriter in the early 70s. His name was Larry Norman. He was a hippie. (laughs) He was a Jesus-loving hippie, love on Hate Street, Northern California. He was right in the throes of it. He wrote wrote a lot of songs and performed all over the world. Are, Are any of you familiar with Larry Norman? Yeah. So I became aware of him late, you know, early my early my Christian life, late '80s, early '90s, and uh, he wrote a, a song that scared a whole lot of people into heaven. And it's called "I Wish We'd All Been Ready." Uh, I I could sing it for you. It may even be better than than the way Larry sang if you ever heard his voice, but uh, I don't have the confidence that he has. Life was filled with guns and war. And everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. 
A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. He continues. I think you get the idea. And if people are scared into heaven, I think that's okay. I just want them to be discipled in the remainder of their days to know why they believe in Jesus, know why there's a coming of Jesus that they need to be prepared for and ready for. So there's two audiences in this room. We're at home on live stream. There's two audiences. There's either you, uh, Jesus knows you. You are his. And you'll be raptured. Or you will be, if you die before he comes back, you will be the first to be resurrected from your grave. God has the power to do this. So you have that precious hope, that precious promise that you have something to live for and that when, you, when, a, when a loved one who is in Christ dies and is difficult and challenging as much you're gonna hate it that they are no longer here, that you miss them terribly. You can grieve differently because you have hope that you'll see them again. God will make it right. And death will have no more sting because <laughs> Jesus conquered all. He's conquered all. Now, that's, that's, that's one section of the audience in this room or at home. There's another section of the audience here today or at home. And those of you who do not no, Jesus, and Jesus does not know you. You do not want to be on this day without Jesus. <laughs> Only by the grace of God can you come unto repentance. Only by the grace of God. And God makes it very clear to you. He loves you. He made you to be with him. You have sinned and rebelled and done your own way. You've gone your own way. But God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were still sinners, Christ died. All who place their faith and hope and belief in Jesus will have life eternal, which means you'll be with Jesus forever. Some of you have not made that decision. I know, I know by the size of this room, People in here are on a pathway to hell. And God does not want that for you. He does not want that for you. Respond to Jesus today. Give your life to Jesus today. Surrender your life to him. And he will be faithful to you all the rest of the days of your life. We are here to help you with that. We want to help you with that. It's too important to miss this opportunity. <laughs> so I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that in a moment. But before that, for us believers in this room, those who have been walking with Jesus for 10 minutes or uh, 50 years, we know what's gonna happen. I just got done preaching it. This day is coming, a day of reckoning with the Lord. 
And we have this glorious hope to look forward to. A glorious hope. A wonderful invitation. What are we doing with that? How does it change us? Instead of just being selfish with an invitation, we need to be sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us. Those whom we love, our neighbors, our co-workers, our loved ones, we need to share the gospel with them. And I'm sure you all are green in your head saying, you're right, we need to do that. Yep, we need, I need to do better. I need to do it more. I need to try harder. I need to deny myself. But I'm just kind of afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. I'm a little bit afraid that I'm going to do it right, and then what? Just give those cares to Jesus. But I think what we need to do together, and I believe this for our whole church, maybe not everyone here, but largely our whole church, starting with me, is we need to ask God to break our hearts. Ask God to break our hearts that there's people who are on a pathway to hell and we're not doing anything about it. We're keeping our mouth closed. Starting with me first. So I'm going to give a, I haven't done this before, but I, I don't normally do this. If you're new here, this isn't what we do, but I'm going to do something strange and new. But if you're a believer, don't do peer pressure just because I'm doing this. But if you're a believer and you need God to break your heart, the things that break Jesus' heart, I'm going to ask you to get on your knees with me and ask God to do that. That the idea that people going to hell will break your heart. Because it has not been breaking my heart. Let it start. Jesus, here, our collective prayer. We have cared way too much about ourselves and our own agendas. Expecting someone else to do the work. Expecting you to do all the work, but God, you call us to be obedient, to be disciple makers. We've been scared, we've been bored, we've been tired, we've been afraid. Forgive us. Please forgive us and break our hearts for the things that break Jesus' heart. All the things. But especially knowing that people are going to hell and that we could do something about it by loving them. Loving them enough to share that there's a better way and it's following Jesus. So Father, would you do a great work in our church and across this city and across this uh, nation, this world. Pray for even our team in Japan right now that you would continue to expand their efforts of sharing the gospel in Japan with a, a population that does not know you. One half of 1% of all 130 million people in Japan don't know you or do know you. Glaring minority. And the, the statistics for America is not much better. So, Father, would you have your way with us? We want to be surrendered to you, and not out of peer pressure, but simply out of an honest heart, an honest mind that gets right and in alignment with you and your spirit. We can't do anything without you. So help us become engrossed in great love and appreciation for who you are, Jesus. You'll take care of the rest. You'll take care of the rest. Hear our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. 
For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.